Good morning, everyone. <coughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net or if you mouse over the link on the top menu for online editions, you will see on the drop-down the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down menu, there's also a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation. <laughs> okay. that Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation with the Correction for Lack of Love, Section 2.5. And at the top of the hour, um, we will touch in with our lesson led today again one last time by Fran <laughs> um, lesson 22 what I see is a form of vengeance So uh, let me turn to you, Lori, and ask, uh, do you have a, one of your wonderful openings for the call? I do, LeMoyne. <laughs> Given that um, the ego mind sees nothing but vengeance, I thought it great to remember perfect love. So I selected this poem from Ernest Holmes. It's called Born of Eternal Day. Child of all good, you are born of eternal day. There is no evening of the soul for it to live forever. It is deathless and perfect, complete and one with the everlasting. No thought of tomorrow can disturb the calm of him who knows that life is one eternal day. No fear can enter where love reigns. No fear can enter where love reigns, and reason keeps faith with hope. The thoughts of tomorrow's and the yesterday's are swallowed up in the great realization of the perfect here and the complete now. It's a poem by Ernest Holmes. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. It's one of my favorite yeah. poems. Nice to hear. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, Ernest. Yeah, that's right.
Yeah, thank you, Laurie. Okay, and uh, I heard Lana there. Welcome, Lana. Would you like to read this morning, Lana? Um, I'm expecting a couple of calls from the hospital, so I, I, I may read towards the end, but right now I have to leave. I have to be um, pay mind to the messages they come in or the calls. Okay, but I might okay. read later. Okay. No problem. All right, so uh, with us in reading this morning, I have uh, Lori, Fran, Jessica, Karen, and Robin Marie. And with us in listening, I have Ida, Donna, and Lana. Is there anyone else who's trying to call? Would like to say good morning. Hi, uh, Diana. Hi, Diana. Hi, good morning. Do you like to read? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Talk, talk right on top of you there. Sorry. All right, one second. Okay. Um, I'll get us started this morning and... Uh, yeah, I think to treat uh, the 83 through 86 as one paragraph, so. Now you're warned, Laurie and Brian. Okay. Um, from Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation, Section 5, The Correction for Lack of Love. The first corrective step is know first that this is an expression of fear. Then say to yourself that you must somehow have willed not to love, or the fear which arises from behavior will conflict could not have arisen. Then the whole process is nothing more than a series of pragmatic steps in the larger process of accepting the atonement as the remedy. And uh, let's see, I turn to you now, Lori. Would you read 82 through 86? Oh, indeed. So, uh, Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation, Section 5, The Correction for Lack of Love. The first corrective step is know first that this is an expression of fear. Then say to yourself that you must have somehow... I read that wrong. Then say to yourself that you must somehow have willed not to love, or the fear which arises from the behavior will conflict could not have arisen. Then the whole process is nothing more than a series of pragmatic steps in which the larger process of accepting the atonement as the remedy. These steps can be summarized as follows. One, know, know first that this is fear. Two, fear arises from lack of love. Three, the only remedy for lack of love is perfect love. And four, perfect love is the atonement. 
Thank you, Lori. And, uh, friend, would you read uh, 82 through 87? Uh, Lemoyne, what page is that on? I'm, I can't find it. Um, 32. 32. Okay, okay thank you. 82. The first corrective step is no first, that this is an expression of fear. Then say to yourself that you must somehow have willed not to love or the fear which arises from behavior will conflict could not have arisen. Then the whole process is nothing more than a series of pragmatic steps in the larger process of accepting the atonement of the remedy. These steps can be summarized as follows. One, know first that this is fear. Two, fear arises from lack of love. Three, the only remedy for a lack of love is perfect love. Four, Perfect love is the atonement. 87. We have emphasized that the miracle or the expression of atonement is always a sign of real respect from the worthy to the worthy. This worth is re-established by the atonement. It is obvious, then, that when you are afraid, you have placed yourself in a position where you need atonement because you have done something loveless, having willed without love. This is precisely the situation for which the atonement was offered. The need for the remedy inspired its creation. As long as you recognize only the need for the remedy, you will remain fearful. However, as soon as you remedy it, you, will, you have also abolished the fear. This is how true healing occurs. Oh, thank you, friend. And Jessica, would you read, please read 83 through 88. Okay. 83. Know first that this is fear. 84. Fear arises from lack of love. 85. The only remedy for lack of love is perfect love. 86. Perfect love is the atonement. 87. We have emphasized that the miracle or the expression of atonement is always a sign of real respect from the worthy to the worthy. This worth is reestablished by the atonement. It is obvious then that when you are afraid, you have placed yourself in a position where you need atonement because you have done something loveless, having willed without love. This is precisely the situation for which the atonement was offered. A need for the remedy inspired its creation. As long as you recognize only the need for the remedy, you will remain fearful. However, as soon as you remedy it, you have also abolished the fear. This is how true healing occurs. Um, one more, please. Oh, sorry. 
Okay. It's okay. 88. It's a good point. <laughs> Everyone experiences fear and no one enjoys it. Yet, it would take very little right thinking to realize why fear occurs. Very few people appreciate the real power of the mind and no one remains fully aware of it all the time. However, if anyone hopes to spare himself from fear, there are some things he must realize and realize fully. The mind is a very powerful creator, and it never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant it is creating, and always as you will. Many of your ordinary expressions reflect this. For example, when you say, quote, don't give it a thought, you imply that if you do not think about something, it will have no effect on you. And this is true enough. Thank you, Jessica. And yeah, back to the regular pattern. Uh, Karen, would you read 88 and 89? Thank you. Everyone experiences fear and no one enjoys it. Yet it would take very little right thinking to realize why fear occurs. Very few people appreciate the real power of the mind and no one remains fully aware of it all the time. However, if anyone hopes to spare himself from fear, there are some things he must realize and realize fully. The mind is a very powerful creator and it never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant it is creating and always as you will. Many of your ordinary expressions reflect this. For example, when you say, quote, don't give it a thought, unquote, you imply that if you do not think about something, it will have no effect on you. And this is true enough. 89. On the other hand, many other expressions clearly illustrate the prevailing lack of awareness of thought power. For example, you say, quote, just an idle thought, unquote, and mean that the thought has no effect. You also speak of some actions as quote-unquote thoughtless, implying that if the person had thought, he would not behave as he did. While expressions like quote, think big, unquote, give some recognition to the power of thought, they still come nowhere near the truth. You do not expect to grow when you say it because you do not really think that you will. Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> and Robin Marie. Eighty-eight. On the other hand, many other expressions clearly illustrate the prevailing lack of awareness of thought power. For example, you say, quote, just an idle thought, unquote, and mean that the thought has no effect. You also speak of some actions as, quote, thoughtless, unquote, implying that if the person had thought, 
he would not behave as he did. While expressions like, quote, think big, unquote, give some recognition to the power of thought, they still come nowhere near the truth. You do not expect to grow when you say it because you do not really think that you will. 89. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. It appears at first glance that to believe such power about yourself is merely arrogant, but that is not the real reason why you do not believe it. People prefer to believe that their thoughts cannot exert real control because they are literally afraid of them. Many psychotherapists attempt to help people who are afraid, say, of their death wishes by depreciating the power of the wish. They even try to, quote, free, unquote, the patient by persuading him that he can think whatever he wants without any real effect at all. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Diana. 90. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. It appears at first glance that to believe such a power about yourself is merely arrogant, but that is not the real reason why you do not believe it. People prefer to believe that their thoughts cannot exert real control because they are literally afraid of them. Many psychotherapists attempt to help people who are afraid, say, of death wishes by depreciating the power of the wish. They even try to free the patient by persuading him that he can think whatever he wants to without any real effects at all. 91. There is a real dilemma here which only the true right-minded can turn the page. Escape. Death wishes do not kill the physical sense, but they do kill spiritual awareness. All destructive thinking is dangerous. Given a death wish, a man has no choice except to act upon the thought or behave contrary to it. He thus chooses only between homicide and fear. The real possibility is that he depreciates the power of his thoughts. This is the usual psychoanalytic approach. It gives ally guilt, but at the cost of rendering thinking impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be overly afraid of it, but you are hardly likely to respect it. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And is there a new reader for 91 and 92? 
Yes, good morning, Lemoyne. It's Jude. I can I can do it. Okay, please do. It's hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. It appears at first glance that to believe such power about yourself is merely arrogant, but that is not the real reason why you do not believe it. People prefer to believe that their thoughts cannot exert real control because they are literally afraid of them. Many psychotherapists attempt to help people who are afraid say of their death wishes by deprecating the power of the wish. They even try to, quote, free, unquote, the patient by persuading him that he can think whatever he wants without any real effect at all. There's a real dilemma here, which only the truly right-minded can escape. Death wishes do not kill in the physical sense, but they do kill spiritual awareness, kill joys. Oh, boy. All destructive thinking is dangerous. Given a death wish, a man has no choice except to act upon the thought or behave contrary to it. He thus chooses only between homicide and fear. The other possibility is that he deprecates the power of his thought. This is the usual psychoanalytic approach. It does allay the guilt, but at the cost of rendering thinking impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be overly afraid of it, but you can or but you are hardly likely to respect it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. My my error there. Excuse me. All right. Um and is there a <clears throat> Another new reader for 91 and 92. I can read now, Lemoyne, if you want. All right, please do, Lana. Uh, 91. There is a real dilemma here, which only the truly right-minded can escape. Death wishes do not kill in the physical sense but they do kill spiritual awareness. All destructive thinking is dangerous. Given a death wish, a man has no choice except to act upon the thought or behave contrary to it. He thus chooses only between homicide and fear. The other possibility is that he depreciates the power of his thought. This is the usual psychoanalytic approach. It does allow a lie, guilt, but at the cost of rendering thinking impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be overly afraid of it, but you are hardly likely to respect it. 92. Oops. Sorry, hold on just a second. 
The world is full of examples of how man has depreciated himself because he is afraid of his own thoughts. In some forms of insanity, thoughts are glorified, but this is only because the underlying depreciation was too effective for tolerance. The truth is that there are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. The reason people are afraid of ESP and so often react against it is because they know that thoughts can hurt them. Their own thoughts have made them vulnerable. Thank you, Lana. And uh, I know the guide says we'll stop at 92, but I think to carry on <clears throat> at least through 93, I think better through 95. Um, so is there a new reader for 92 and 93? I can do it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not new. <laughs> Okay, well, I was just about to ask you to do it anyway, so please go ahead, Lori. (laughs) That's funny. This moment I am. So, uh, 92. The world is full of examples of how man has depreciated himself because he is afraid of his own thoughts. In some forms of insanity, thoughts are glorified. But this is only because the underlying depreciation was too effective for tolerance. The truth is, there are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. The reason people are afraid of ESP and so often react against it is because they know that thoughts can hurt them. Their own thoughts have made them vulnerable. 93. You who constantly complain about fear still persist in creating it. I told you before that you cannot ask me to release you from fear because I know it does not exist. But you do not. If I merely intervened between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is in this world. I would hardly help you if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. It is much more helpful to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts carefully, except for a small part of the day, and somewhat inconsistently even then. You may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. Thank you, Lori. And Brian. You want me to read 93 and 94? Um, Yes, please. Okay. 93. You who constantly complain about fear still persist in creating it. I told you before that you cannot ask me to release you from fear because I know it does not exist, but you do not. 
If I merely intervene between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is in this world. I would hardly help if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. It is much more helpful to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts carefully except for a small part of the day and somewhat inconsistently even then. You may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. 94. Men are not used to miraculous thinking, but they can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers need that kind of training. I cannot let them leave their minds unguarded or they will not be able to help me. Miracle working entails a full realization of the power of thought and real avoidance of miscreation. Otherwise, a miracle will be necessary to set the mind itself straight, a circular process which would hardly foster the time collapse for which the miracle is intended, nor would it induce the healthy respect for true cause and effect which every miracle worker must have. Thank you, Brian. And Jessica, 94 and 5. Um, since this, I, I usually read from the email. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to look in my, the book that I have down here, which is the other book, the FIP. It, 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 does anybody know where that would be? Because I'm a little confused right now. Um, it's on, I know it's that. On the email, Jessica, if you press read online, it re- you have the you have access to oh. the whole chapter. Thank you. Okay, great. I'll go there. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. You may have to enlarge it because it's pretty tiny. <laughs> yes, I can That's no problem. Read online. Uh, I I thought it was usually the same exact part that's on there, but okay, so. 93 and 94. Okay, here we go. Great. Um, you who constantly complain about Jessica. Fear. Jessica. Oh, I'm sorry. 90, 94 and 5. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's all right. I guess I want to paragraph again. Anyway, 94. Men are not used to miraculous thinking, but they can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers need that kind of training. I cannot let them leave their minds unguarded or they will not be able to help me. Miracle working entails a full realization of the power of thought and real avoidance of miscreation. Otherwise, a miracle will be necessary to set the mind itself straight, a circular process which would hardly foster the time collapse for which the miracle was intended. Nor would it induce the healthy respect for true cause and effect, which every miracle worker must have. Miracles cannot free the miracle worker from fear. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. And if you were not free to choose one, you would also not be free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected. Okay, 
by choosing the miracle, somebody's about to leave, but um, by choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear. You have been afraid of God, of me, of yourselves, and of practically everyone you know at one time or another. This is because you have misperceived or miscreated us and believe in what you have made. You would never have done this if you were not afraid of your own thoughts. The vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation. Thank you, Jessica. And Karen, would you conclude with 95? 95. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. And if you were not free to choose one, you would not also, excuse me, you would also not be free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear. You have been afraid of God, of me, of yourselves, and practically everyone you know at one time or another. This is because you have misperceived or miscreated us and believe in what you have made. You would have never done this if you were not afraid of your own thoughts. The vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation. Thank you, Karen. And, yeah, I just uh, want to emphasize this line that is in brackets because it was introduced in later editions. Miracles cannot, from 95, miracles cannot free the miracle worker from fear. And uh, at the end of 93, it says, <laughs> you may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to watch your thoughts carefully, which is perfectly true. And I think the distinction here is that it's the choice for the miracle which is on us, if you will, that choose the miracle or the fear. The miracle will enable us to do it, but it is the alignment of the will that's required to release that power of uh, thinking in line with the atonement. Anyway. I hope that helps. Um, we're real close to the top of the hour. I guess we have time for one short share. Good morning. This is Donna Lemoyne. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I got... I got something so beautiful today on how I am to walk henceforth because I do have problem keeping my mind right. And this is what I got. It is my work to remember 
my thoughts have power to create or to miscreate. I am immortal life. I am here to be truly helpful. I am safe in God's love and care. This is God's will. Let me recall this is my true will as well. Amen. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Donna. Oh, thank yeah. you, Donna. Thank you. That was beautiful. Amen. All right. Well, um, I ask now. I ask everyone to give their attention to Fran, and she leads us in the lessons for the day. Um, Lesson 22, what I see is a form of vengeance. Over to you, friend. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and today's lesson is lesson 22. What I see is a form of vengeance. So I shall read the lesson, and then we will go and do our practice. Okay. What I see is a form of vengeance. Today's idea accurately describes the way anyone who holds attack thoughts in his mind must see the world. Having projected his anger onto the world, he sees vengeance about to strike at him. His own attack is thus perceived as self-defense. This becomes an increasingly vicious circle until he is willing to change how he sees. Otherwise, thoughts of attack and counterattack will preoccupy him and people his entire world. What peace of mind is possible to him then? It is from this savage fantasy that you want to escape. It is not joyous news to hear that it is not real. Is it not a happy discovery to find that you can escape? You made what you would destroy, everything that you hate and would attack and kill. All that you fear does not exist. Look at the world about you at least five times today, for at least a minute each time. As your eyes move slowly from one object to another, from one body to another, say to yourself, I see only the perishable. I see nothing that will last. What I see is not real. What I see is a form of vengeance. At the end of each practice period, ask yourself, is this the world I really want to see? The answer is surely obvious. Lesson 22, what I see is a form of vengeance. Five minutes.
Now I shall read the paragraph from the review of Lesson 22. What I see is a form of vengeance. The world I see is hardly the representation of loving thoughts. It is a picture of attack on everything by everything. It is anything but a reflection of the love of God and the love of his son. It is my own attack thoughts which give rise to this picture. My loving thoughts will save me from this perception of the world and give me the peace intended me to have. Lesson 22. What I see is a form of vengeance. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Fran. Good morning, everyone. It's Lana. Um, you know, this lesson is for me is you know it's like the perfect lesson to complement the reading today. The reading today, you know, it contains a lot of metaphysical principles, and yet um, I like to keep it simple, <laughs> and it all boils down to choice. And, you know, we all carry a lot of unconscious guilt, you know, just no one would knowingly choose free, a fear, but so many times we end up with the awareness that we're sitting in it. And we look at the world and we either see or make up a story that seems to validate the fear. But neither the story nor the fear is real and truth. And that's what the lesson today is reminding me. And, um, you know, the course for me has always been about mind training. It's about watching my mind and the thoughts. And in fact, in A Course of Love, at the end of it, it says, think no more. <laughs> That's how powerful thoughts are. It just would guide us to be present with God in the holy instant, in the holy now, and to allow God to speak to us and to receive his thoughts instead. You know, and, and the other thing is, although I've, I have train my mind and myself to be mindful of my thoughts. Well, you know, what about the hours that I sleep at night? I'm, I can't be watching my mind then. But I, I've learned to hand my mind over to the Holy Spirit before I go to sleep and sort of surrender it for his, you know, to him to watch for me. And, of course, it's the first thing I do in the morning is reconnect with God. But still, you know, fear will show up. And how it got there is not my concern. My only concern is that um, instead of joining the story that I've identified as causing the fear, I keep my mind present. And, and at this point, the lesson today would be the perfect remedy because it acknowledges that these experiences, false as they are, sure look real, sure seems real, and the world will tell me they are real. 
that doesn't make any difference. I have to choose the truth because only in choosing the miracle over the fear will the fear and the story attached to it dissipate and whatever situation um, resolved in a miraculous way. You know, that, that's just been my experience over the years of practicing A Course in Miracles. I have to trust that truth is true, even while I'm standing in the fire of fear. I have to deny the illusion and affirm the truth. I need to accept the atonement for myself and leave it to God to resolve that because God through the Holy Spirit will heal whatever insanity is producing these miscreations and misperceptions that are frightening me so bad. So um, part of the course about or the lesson Let Me See Differently is a powerful one to read. And also the very last section of the very last chapter of A Course in Miracles Jesus saved for last, I think, on purpose. His very last instruction to us was to choose once again. Choice, you know, getting back to what I said at the beginning, choice is our most, is our strongest weapon against fear and the ego mentality. Free choice. No matter whether I'm in fear or wherever I am. <laughs> I'm in sorrow, I'm in pain, either physical or emotional. I can always choose again. I always have the power to bring my awareness back to this present moment and choose God instead. And then just allow whatever is going to rise to be healed for me, not by me. You know, I've spoken to a couple of students this week who who were just so attached to their story and they couldn't stop thinking about it, even though they both knew, they weren't new students, they weren't new students, that the thinking about it was feeding it, was strengthening. And all I needed to do was to remind them that it only took an holy instant of being present with God to choose once again. And um, and I know, <laughs> and it isn't like you do it once and you don't have to ever do it again. I mean, every day I have to do it because I don't know what unconscious junk I have in, down below my conscious level. And when it comes back up, it's not about shaming myself for doing something wrong. It's just by looking at it. And choosing, I, I, I choose peace instead of this. It's, um, you know, so anyway, that just works for me. Um, and it, our reading in our lesson just validated those things for me again. So I'm complete. Thank you. That was that really was so utterly clear and powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear Lana. This is Diana. I, I had a thought about that, and Lana, you're right on. It always comes to a choice. Uh, in the book, it says, there are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. And for me, um, I was reading a little bit more about the ego this weekend and that the ego um, makeup, if you will, 
does not include the thought of love. So it's my opportunity to, you know, when I notice an error thought or a judgment or some kind of, you know, body-mind thinking that is in alignment with God, the quickest way for me to weaken that ego consciousness and to strengthen, you know, um, um, God consciousness over any vengeful thought, you know, when I see it or feel it, is to replace it with a creative thought, a reversal thought of something right and beautiful and true. And and what better thought can you have than to return it to the thought of God, uh, to the thought of a lo- of love, atoning for the air thinking. So when I notice a negative thought, I get to, I don't have to, but I get to at that moment, not always easy, choose a creative thought to replace it, returning back to a, a, a strengthening of the right-minded and a weakening of the ego. You know, we're walking to the enlightened being that I want to be one day, you know, just a little a lot more enlightened than what I am now, but I can do that by by noticing and and choosing a creative thought. You know, I mean, I could be my own God, fairy godmother here, you know, in some way with my God wand, and I can decorate it in my mind with glitter, however I, whatever I see it to be, dispelling darkness wherever I go. Mm, it's not a good thought. I'm going to put light there because we are eternal and we're sending and gathering deliberate blessings when we can think in our right mind. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Diana. That was just really great. Thank you, Diana. Thank, thank you, Diana. Diana. I can't talk about one day and don't feel like I have a fairy godmother right now because I'm feeling really depressed. So I'm bringing it to you guys on purpose. Um, not to hurt anybody or bother anybody, but just asking for help. Thank you. I'm complete. Well, Ida, my prayer is that you know your essence is the very heart of love. My dear, I experience that you, from you all the time. And uh, and I'm just going to share that with you out of gratitude for who you are. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Me too. I'm, I'm just holding the truth of you for you and just sending you tons of love feeling love and light. I I love you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. In affirmative prayer, Ida, I do see you healthy, whole, complete, the way God sees you and right-minded. I'm canceling out any thought that isn't true about who you are in Christ. I'm complete. Good morning, it's Karen. I hope you can hear me as driving. Um, 
I, I often feel like I slip into a place where I feel depressed also. And I constantly have to work with it. The lesson today, what I see as a form of vengeance, is when I slip into my ego mind, I feel separate. I feel separate from God's love. I feel separate from the light. I feel separate from my brothers and sisters who love me. I feel like the world is, a, you know, a punitive in my dream, in my drama of my mind. I feel the world is punitive. Um, yesterday there was a meditation group, and I chose not to go because my mother is uh, hallucinating, and I was on the phone with my sister for so many hours before the meditation thing, and I decided not to do it. And as soon as the meditation group ended, I got a text from my daughter that she's being evicted. And the first thought that goes through my mind is I'm being punished because I didn't do the meditation. If I had done the meditation, I would have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and that would have gone out to my daughter, and she wouldn't be being evicted. And then I looked at that thought, and it was like, that thought is insane. That's how the ego processes the world. Everything is vengeance. Everything is vengeance. Everything is punishment, everything is guilt, everything is judgment, everything is fear-based. That's the fantasy, the illusion. Um, I mentioned that my mom was hallucinating. She's been hallucinating for about three days. She hasn't been sleeping at all. She's violent and she's very abusive, but she's talking to people who are not there and it's such a perfect metaphor for the ego. We are lost in our private world and having conversations with people who are not there, people who are shadow figures from our past, people who we made up the ego of that person as well as our own ego. And my sister's job is to be with her, to be loving to her, to have compassion, to take care of her, to, you know, to, to just love her and love her so that whatever she's going through, the love of God is with her. And my sister's job is to remember that she's not alone in this situation. And it's, you know, it's extremely strange. We didn't expect this, but my sister has to trust that God is with her. And everything is the way it's supposed to be, and she just has to take the next right step. For me, when I feel depressed, the thing I have to do is say, I open to the love. Because it's my own mind that stopped it from flowing. I stopped my, my experience of my oneness with the divine. So no matter how bad I feel, I have to say it. I open to you, Lord. I open to your love. And I and I it helps to just have gratitude for whatever I can think of that I feel sincerely, authentically grateful for. It's it's really the ego is just so it's so tricky. I mean, I've been sick and so I'm learning a wonderful new lesson and that is 
that, oh, I thought the ego only got me to to um, identify with it if I had fear or if I had judgment or I had guilt. But now I'm learning that the ego is using my body identification against me in a huge way that I never experienced this much awareness of once I start feeling sick, I start obsessing about the feeling. And then the more, the longer it goes on, the more identified I am. At first, when I, start, when I started getting sick last Tuesday, I was like, I am not the body. And I shifted instantly into a place of feeling my spiritual, spacious self. But as time goes by, it's so hard not to feel more and more identified with it. And it's really just a great lesson that's happening right now because I'm going to get, I'm going to emerge very strong and I'm not going to fall for this like I'm falling for it now. The way that I stopped feeling identified with fear and, and other negative emotions, now I'm going to learn to do this with the body. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to me and uh, I'm very grateful for the call and for having such strong spiritual brothers and sisters to stay connected to when times are tough. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, Karen, what a great share. What a great experience. Um, Boy, I just aligned so strongly with everything you just said. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Karen. I agree. That was such a wonderful, wonderful share. I had a mother who hallucinated and a daughter that's been evicted a few times. And I know the whole scenario, and you just addressed it so perfectly. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. I got a lot out of that. I was thinking when you said that, Karen, that this whole world and bodies is a dream, is a hallucination. And, you know, whether someone thinks they're hallucinating within the dream is, and then we call that sickness. It's like, you know, twice, three times, four times removed from reality. To judge any part of the dream is to judge all of it. And, you know... And I love your shares because they are so simple. But I think, you know, speaking of the metaphysical is an imperative here because that's what the truth is. It's metaphysical. It's universally applicable in all situations, all circumstances, and, and everybody equally, everywhere, all the time. That's what the atonement is. It's changeless and perfect love that is the answer to everything we can possibly concoct in this illusory world, mistaking ourselves for beings in a body that can be threatened or hurt or even feel pain or sickness or sorrow. My mind can only choose happiness. If I decide I'm not going to be happy, I won't be happy. My Understanding straight up from the text today speaks of this, that Christ cannot, he's not going to trump my misery. The ego is the baloney grinder. It's the misery maker. 
it's the one that says, I don't like this. And, you know, who made this up but us? And we're, we're here criticizing, complaining, complaining. I love that word, complain, in the text today. You know, but the first step is to know first that this is an expression of fear. If it's not love, it's fear. There are many forms of fear. There are many forms of death. Worry, anxiety, depression, sickness, sorrow, longing, feelings of lack or inadequacy. We can go on and on. I mean, the list is just too. All the shadow work, the clouds, all those clouds that block the clarity of the light from my mind. Note first that this is fear. If it's not love, from a lack of love, I'm not loving. I've left the thought that I am one with God, that I'm in love with everything because God loves everything. And I was created like God in his likeness and his image. And even if I fail to understand what I'm seeing and I'm judging it amiss and I've lost my sense of peace and it's making me afraid, I can call upon God because he's with me wherever I go. I take Christ and the Holy Spirit because God is in everything, as everything, all in all. There's no place where God is not. And if I'm looking at it, and the text speaks of this, I'm misperceiving God's creation as something threatening, as something dangerous, as something in opposition to him loving me. I'm saying, no, this is not love. God doesn't love me. I want something different. I'm special. I'm a two-year-old. I want this to be other than it is. That's Jude. Jude's will. Self-centered, selfish, self-seeking. You know, judging and slicing and dicing the totality. The oneness that is God. And, the, um, you know, this whole cyclical thing about miracles correcting my my lack of ability to to watch how my thinking affects how I feel because how I think is how I look at the world. It's not the other way around. I don't look at it and then judge it. I'm judging it, and then I'm seeing it as I would see it. And this is the reversal that the Course is trying to teach us from the lessons, the projection is what makes perception. Because if I'm seeing through vision, all I'm seeing is love. All I'm seeing is forgiveness. All I'm seeing is, is understanding and mercy. Have mercy. You know, we don't know what we're doing here. We're not who we think we are here. And the, the basic conflict is between love and fear or creation and miscreation and believing in what we've miscreated. We've created an alternate alter, alternate reality, a virtual reality, the dream of being bodies in a world, a virtual reality, and we've got virtual reality blinders on. And we believe in what we made. This is what the text is, is speaking of. But these, these wishes to believe in what I think and be afraid of it, and, and you know, the, you know it's, 
be afraid physically, there's physical fear, which is natural. It's it's unnatural to, to deny we have a body, but, you know, the, the wishes, the death wishes, you know, may or may not kill our bodies, but it says they do kill spiritual awareness. And spiritual awareness is in a constant state of peace and love and joy. That's the Holy Spirit's teaching in everything, that there's nothing that can disturb the kingdom of God. We're perfectly protected within the kingdom of God in our state of grace, looking through the spiritual eye to see the truth and not to be deceived by perception. So, you know, the power of the choice of my thoughts and to recognize I'm, I made this up. We made this up. I mean, the Course is telling me I'm, I'm responsible for my salvation. I can't save anybody. All I can do is see through the eyes of my holiness and, and recognize there's nothing holiness won't do for them as soon as the light bulb comes out in their mind and they want to see things differently because they're so unhappy and so dissatisfied. They're going to look for a, a different way. They want to see things a different way. And whatever it takes is whatever it's going to take. I know what it took for me. It takes a lot for some people to want to look at things differently. But God does not trump my misery, and he'll, he says, have it your way until I decide to choose to see things differently. And I don't see vengeance in anything coming to get me anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, the potty and the pain and the, the pain and the suffering in the in the larger pain body of the world are, are as the world defines it, very frightening catastrophes and disasters and freakouts. You know, you can let it freak you out, or we can call upon the the perfect comfort and the perfect safety that God's will for me is is heaven. And I'm in heaven on earth if I trust and believe and depend and rely upon that because there's nothing that can shake my peace. And that's what I'm working on today. This is not the world that I would see. I would like to see it differently. Amen. I'm complete. Hi, it's Karen again. I, I want to thank you, Jude, but I also wanted to add one little thing. Um, I used to be in a spiritual community, and it was very strong about everything you say better be perfect, and don't say it wrong. And if you had a thought that you that you said out loud, and it was not a, a, a true thought, a Holy Spirit thought, that you should add cancel, cancel, cancel right afterwards, because... You know, and I just want to say, I'm not sick. I'm perfectly healthy, and I I know the power of my thought. My body is an instrument of God, and I'm spirit, but even my body is perfect, and I just want to put that in the air the first way. And, you know, to, to a thought that maybe I'm depressed, I would say cancel, cancel, cancel. I'm not depressed. I'm full of God's love and light. I am complete. Thank you. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you.
Thank you, Judy, too. I was, I, I mean, that, that to me is saying, Judy just thinks she is. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. This is Sandra. Thank you, Judy. I just want to say that I was tracking every word, and you were amazing and are amazing. I really admire you. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. It was beautiful, Sandra. Here's, yes, thank you, Sandra. Here, Sandra, thank you. But um, it's like when everybody's um, loving and raving upon anybody, it's like not to, to, to take claim to it, but just to know that it's God shining through me that makes me look so good. Thank you. I'm complete. It's you doing the work, Judy, and you are doing the work diligently, and it's wonderful. This is Donna. See, that's the thing. I, um, you know, it's not about perfecting human image in the likeness of God to me. I really had this come on strong the other day. It's about recognizing and owning and claiming God's spirit within me, that God is holding me in my humanness and elevating me and restoring me to how he created me to be, restoring me to my natural factory settings. It's like the fun way I like to refer to it, that, you know, all this shadow work that we do, and, you know, I call it God's taking his eraser and, and eliminating false beliefs from my mind, that I think that I should be afraid is a, a false belief. The things, you know, because we're so invested in, in the world's reality that, you know, we're, we're, we're afraid, unconscious fear so much of the time. Anxiety and worry are like an undercurrent in society, and it's so prevalent that we consider it to be, quote, unquote, normal, and it's not. And I'll tell you what, because I've been released and relieved of it, that I know the difference, and I think it's so important for us to depend upon and rely and trust in how God created us to be pure love and to rest in that peace that's always here and now already. We don't have to do anything except merely be resting and, 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 and quiet and still in it. Like Lana and was saying, it's just in every holy instant. There's 1,440 of them a day. But I have to remind myself because my mind, I'm not aware of my thoughts. My thoughts carry me away on some crazy bus. And I'm running down the road buying stuff I don't need or, you know, doing all sorts of stuff I don't need to do. The tangential busyness that the ego keeps me on, the, on that tread wheel, uh, tread wheel, you know, that hamster in a cage wheel that, you know, it's like. Somebody said on the, the conference call this morning, 
I'm going to unplug my Wi-Fi and my TV, and I'm just going to be still. I don't need to do anything. <laughs> be still and do nothing. That's got the greatest allegiance to God. Uh, and with that, I will be quiet. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Judy. Yeah. Uh, this is Lana. Boy, I love the shares today. Um, I I love it when um, last or oh, yesterday evening um, I was writing a post, an essay, uh, based on a painting I did many years ago, whimsical painting, and it had the quote of um, Glinda the Good Witch to Dorothy <laughs> in The Wizard of Oz, and the quote, is you've always had the power. And, you know, that just reawakened in me how powerful we are. And, in fact, um, when I was healing with my two sisters yesterday that I was sharing about earlier, I um, I was so struck by the power of the mind. Um... You know, the mind is, as Jesus says in the Course, the mind is active, the activating agent for spirit. And um, as I shared the love of God in my meditation with them and for them, um, as well as for myself, my daughter, and everyone, um, it wasn't a request. It came up as a command. It was a declaration of our sanity and our peace and our unique creation as a son of God. It wasn't something to ask for. It was something to affirm as my own, as the one mind that we share with God, as out of the infinite power that we share of God, with God, and in God, through, through God in us, through us, and as us, you know, and I, and it was so, I mean, I could just feel that power surge rise up in me when I commanded in the name of Christ that peace be restored to the minds of my beautiful sisters and brothers in Christ, and, um, you know, it was beautiful. Um, I don't know who it was sharing about. Who was it? Diana, was it the, about their mother with the hallucinations? Um, I just want to tell a short story of my mother. She's a beautiful, beautiful person, such a gentle soul. I call her my angel or I called her my angel. And when I was young and my father passed away when I was 18, my mother was so devastated that she turned to vodka and nearly destroyed herself. She destroyed her liver and she destroyed her mind, you know, her brain, I should say. And I remember when this time, um, one time in the hospital, she was just lying there. Her skin was yellow and everybody she saw was yellow. And she was also hallucinating. And the people she saw through her hallucination were not yellow because they weren't connected with their body site. So I had to sit there and explain to her that the yellow people were the real people and the people that looked like looked real wasn't there. The whole time knowing within myself that none of them were real. <laughs> but I couldn't I couldn't complicate the story any further for my mom. But the miracle happened when I just asked God to give her a reason to live now that my father was gone. 
And it was just a few weeks later that my sister became pregnant. And my mother, although she was still mentally ill the rest of her life, she had a purpose for living. And her granddaughter became that purpose. And she lived another 25 years. So um, the power of the mind is, you know, we always had the power. We just, you know, had to ch- have to choose it. Um, I'm sorry to go on so long. I'm, I'm complete. Oh, what a beautiful That's prayer. amazing. Thank you, Leonard. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, that Thank you, Leonard. That was beautiful. Um, I just want to interject. Didn't Donna start talking before Judy talked again? I'm, I'm just for, you know, I'm complete. Yeah, thank you, Karen. <clears throat> and thank you, Lana. This is Donna, and thank you, Karen. Um, what what came to me is one of my problems walking with God was I couldn't understand why, quote-unquote, he kept taking things away from me, and I kept having these hardships, and, and I kept being <laughs> attacked and everything, emotionally, physically, and every other way. And, I, and so f- when, when you walk under that um, umbrella, so to speak, you blame yourself. You think, oh, it's me. I'm not, I'm not doing something right with God. Oh, okay, well, gee, this goes good for that guy and this goes that for that, the other guy. And even my, my walk now, which I've just had, God is my life in metapsychiatry I live, so that's been my motto and yet i keep losing everything but jesus does say you can gain the whole world and lose your soul i'm saying this to say that when we are under trials and tribulations when we are in hardship when things are tough for us and humanly they look like they ain't going to get no better and humanly they might not get much better but what, I, what has been revealed to me by my walk with the Lord is it's almost like those who have it the toughest, whether it's a physical issue, being in constant pain or not being able to be totally independent, or whether it's just financial where circumstances can tend to take you from one lower uh, level of living to an even lower one. It is so important to know God's got his hand on us. God is there with us. What is the purpose of being like that? God's got an answer for everything. I'm being led and kind of uh, maybe I don't want to directly because I'm not sure. But this is what I'm learning and learning about in my difficulties. I'm there because I can be of service to Jesus and the Holy Spirit for others. I might be in agony and misery, but what the, the Christ in me nonetheless is there. God is there. And he, what is he doing? I don't know. In my misery, I don't know. Maybe I'm showing people how much help people can go through and still confess God out of their mouth. I don't know. But what I want to say is no matter how hard an individual's life is, 
no matter how much they are confessing one thing, and they seem to not be released, it's because God has a time for everything. It's his time. I'm in my hardships that I consider difficult, and it's come to me that I'm there because every individual that I encounter would be encountered by the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus, whom I have I, I'm a seal. I'm a seal warrior. That's what I am. People who go through hardships, they've signed up in the Marines, and they are seals for the Almighty God in God's army. So hardship doesn't mean you failed. Trouble don't mean you failed. Trouble means you're strong enough to stand because you have somehow heard God say, my grace is sufficient for you unto the day so i just i know someone someone's having a hard time and i just stand stand fast uh philippians 4 6 be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto god and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When the difficulty continues, it's because we are where God needs us because he's rolling up. He's rolling up the scroll. I believe that we will be standing here when, quote, unquote, Jesus returns. And I said that before because if he don't, he's, he's not even going to save his elect. And some people from the ninth count. So we are not the we are not to do that just because I had to straighten my thinking out because I walk around my day and I'll say what's the point of my being what I'm saying is why am I alive well that's an insane thought he's kept he he's he's he has saved me from absolute death at least five times one that would have been by my own hand so who's in charge of everything the joy and the misery those who have. They have because they need to be where they are, where other people have, quote unquote, so those people can be fed through the mind of the of individuals. It's like Christian science. These are people who who are in a well well to do situation. I walk among them <clears throat> and I see their work, what their work is doing. Whereas once I would have looked at rich people and say, hey, why don't you give some of that stuff away to people? And who knows, maybe they do or don't. But the point is every single life is already perfect. Even when we look out and say, gee, why don't they pray a little harder? No. God is in control of this life. God is in charge of this dream. He put us to sleep. He's getting us through it, and he's going to wake us up. I am complete. Thank you for listening. Amen. So much for that. that. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. This is Jessica, everybody. Go ahead. Oh, thanks, Jessica. Um, what you said was very helpful, and I don't have the right words to use because I was one of those people that was feeling very depressed, and I said that before you got on the call. And um, just, just that I really 
appreciate all the help and your message, Lori, and uh, and uh, all of that. And I have to leave leave the rest of it to God to communicate to you because I can't humanly communicate everything that is in my heart and is in my soul. Thank you. I'm complete. Bless you, Ida. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. <clears throat> Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. This is Jessica, and I, I just wanted to comment about uh, something someone said before, and this may also apply to what you're going through, Ida, which is in the um, Manual for Teachers, he talks about trust, and he talks about people, teachers of God, feeling like they're losing things when, I don't have it in front of me, but it's uh, feeling like you're losing things when you're actually being brought to see that, that you're going someplace else and you don't need what you thought you needed. Um, anyway, I hope that made sense and I hope that's helpful to somebody. Um, the course has help for every condition and complete. Thank you. Hi, Thanks, um, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Morning, this is Sandra, um, and I love this course so much because I um, experienced a great deal of lack of love in my life, and I and I, I to to survive it, I had to start to control things, and that came from fear. And when I came across this book, this book was the answer. This book gave me all the tools so that I could create this beautiful garden. Um, and one of the prayers in the book is, I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. I made the decision myself, but I can also decide otherwise. I want to decide otherwise because I want to be at peace. I do not feel guilty because the Holy Spirit will undo all the consequences of my wrong decision if I will let her. I choose to let her by allowing her to decide for God for me. So even if I don't have a point of reference, I can still follow the directions and just turn it over to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I have to do that 60 times in a minute because I'll take it back and I'll know whether I've truly turned it over by the way I feel. And it's really, it's all in my mind. This, is, this book is about training my mind so that I can heal my heart. I'm complete. <clears throat> oh, good. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. I wanted to um, say to you, Lana, that about that painting of Glenda the Good Witch and Dorothy, and when you started talking about it, I was thinking about her clicking her little red shoes and saying, I want to go home, when in fact she already was home. And um, I think that's an important analogy for me that I can click my heels at any time and know that 
I'm at home in, in the mind of God, and that peace is the constant, changeless gift of God. And the whole point of the lesson today is in that, you know, the world is temporal and changing, and we, ch- we, ch- we chose with our own mind to to experience this temporal time and space existence as an opposite in opposition to a changeless perfect state and the course teaches this very clearly and in the manual for teachers it, it speaks of the no order of difficulty for <clears throat> me Sorry, Lori, did I interrupt you? Oh, God, I'm sorry. I thought I was on mute. I beg your pardon, Judy. Well, I didn't know. I just sort of came, left and came back. So um, this whole idea of things being temporal and God taking things away from me or changing the conditions or circumstances to something I like or something I don't like something I prefer or I don't prefer, which is all from the perspective or point of view of the mini-me. And, um, you know, it's not just about the mini-me. It has to do with the totality of the one sun and the Holy Spirit's pure perception of it and being a place to remind us. Excuse me, please. I just wondered, I was waiting for Lori to talk, and it's almost 11, and I have to go. And I was just wondering if um, it would be okay if we gave her a space. Sure. All is well. Lori, go right ahead. I'm sure you you have a beautiful share. Thank you, Karen. (laughs) Well, that's that's really generous. But you know what? I heard heard RJ in there. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) Lori? Hey, that exactly. I'm here. Hallelujah. Hey. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Go ahead, Arjun. Hey, uh, well, for a future discussion, um, I'm relatively new to the text, although I've read parts of the text as I've sat in on some of these groups. And I, I do know the difference between when I'm at peace, I'm at peace, and when I have an attack thought, um, I, I have pain and suffering and anger and, and sanity. Um, Standard Christianity talks about remorse. And, you know, sometimes when I see shows on the criminal justice system, they're saying things like, you know, well, I, do you have remorse for your crime or do you feel sorry for what you did? So perhaps during the after call or a future discussion, I'd like to learn a little bit, um, does remorse p- play a part in Course in Miracles um, or do, you, do people go straight from attack thoughts over to correct thoughts, so it's more instantaneous. One minute we're insane, and then if we have a correct thought, we're sane and happy, and then there's no need for remorse because we just kind of bounce between insanity uh, and peace. So with that, I'm complete. Well, that's well, a wonderful discussion. Yeah, I, I look forward to it in the after call. Thank you. Thank you, RJ. That was really good. A really good thought. And, and you know, what you did is um, you lit up exactly what I wanted to share briefly. Um, 
I belong to many different chat groups, you know, and these chat groups sometimes send send Facebook posts and some, sometimes I get messages on the chat app and one of them, well, you know, little dings, the bell goes off on my phone and there's something in the chat group where someone makes an observation about the Course in Miracles or the Course of Love or, or, or whatever, you know, wants to come up. And um, on Saturday, yeah, it was Saturday, uh, the chat group lit up um, ACIM, ACOL Morning Coffee, I think it was. And so I went to my phone and I looked at it. And, and you know, if you've ever seen the Jim Carrey movie where his eyes bug out of his head and, and he has this huge reaction, this was what I saw on my phone. It was a horrible image, pornographic and just awful. And, um, and gee whiz, did I react to that. I thought, oh my God, this is on my chat group. And, and, and I thought, I have to do something about this. And you know how you do. And, and I don't know what to do. I'm not all that literate about that stuff. But, um, you know, you have to, like, touch the image in order to activate a request to um, the technology people uh, to alert them that this is something that you want to have blocked. But the more I tried to do that, the longer the image was on my phone. And I, I wanted to set my phone down like it was hot. Bye. You know? Well, anyway, I'm sorry? Was I, do you want me to stop that? Or, no, that was an accidental. Okay? It was an accidental, unneeded okay. situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I felt about my phone that day. <laughs> you know, oh my God, you know. And so I did. I, I I couldn't even deal with it, so I just ignored it and I went somewhere else. And I thought, I hope someone with technology ability knows what to do with that image. And I let it go at that. Fine and good. Went to bed that night, and I had nightmares. And I never have nightmares. I mean, most of the time I have you know, dialogue with Holy Spirit in my sleep or while my body's in the bed. And and here I am having a nightmare about this image. And, and so I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, here's, it was a random thought. I didn't invite it. It came and obviously it triggered something in my subconscious. And I, I said to myself, I don't know what to do with this. And myself said, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> don't you remember? You say, this thought I do not want. Uh, instruct your mind. Instruct your mind. This thought I do not want, and that was the end of it. <laughs> and I thought, is it really that simple? Could it really be that simple? I don't need to go delving around in my subconscious for something that um, corresponds to that image in a way of horror that I felt. You know, uh, no," said Holy Spirit. "It is really that simple. This thought I do not want." And uh, and I frankly wouldn't have thought about it again, uh, RJ, except that uh, you asked that very excellent question, and that was the answer that I had. Um, so I'm I'm really um, really hoping that that's helpful because it does work. Um, uh, here's another thing: I woke up this morning with a dental abscess. Yikes! And I'm supposed to have surgery uh, in 11 days, and I knew right away what to do and. I've had these things before, and in an uncustomary way, I thought to myself, oh, dental abscess, I am so grateful. And that's the other thing I wanted to share. I am so grateful uh, that my dentist is also a friend, and I could leave her a message and know that she'll respond to me when she's uh, not in the air anymore. Um, 
and and so if I'm having trouble with this thought I do not want, any thought, this thought I do not want, they're random. They come all the time. We're human. We're also divine. And when I can recognize this thought I do not want and find my mind again in my spacious place, all I need to do to arrive in that spacious place is to think a gratitude thought. There's a beautiful, beautiful con in Lesson 298. The lesson itself is, I love you, Father, and I love your Holy Son. That would be the self we share. And the very first sentence is, my gratitude permits my love to be accepted without fear. Anytime. I let my mind go to the spacious place and remember all that I have to be grateful for. The knowledge that there is one life and that I live with God. The knowledge that there is one mind, that mind I share with God. There is one love, that love I share with God. Perfect love is the atonement. And when I go there in that spacious place, I remember that. Gratitude engulfs my mind. You know, infinite patience, infinite patience, only infinite patience has immediate effect because it calls upon infinite love. And in that spacious place, um, this thought I do not want, uh, what thought was that again? You know, um, I'm taken to exactly where my mind needs to be. And I'm complete. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lori. As always, it was worth the wait. We love hearing you every call. And, and I just want to also say, good morning, we would love to hear from you, too. Please. Thank you, Lori. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Lori. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, <clears throat> that's a, that's an important reminder, and uh, I, I, this this relates to the series of lessons and to a whole series of paragraphs in the text. This thing that <clears throat> you know why you know what what he says here is. In 93, you who constantly complain about fear still persist in creating it. I told you before, you cannot ask me to release you from fear because I know it does not exist, but you do not. And, uh, you know, it's... uh, It's... It it has gone on for a while, right? And the, if uh, it's it is if you look at the many of the structures of the human world, the society, they are about trying to uh, trying to limit or control fear, and what the the course says is that this is this has the uh, I think it's maybe in tomorrow's reading, but it this has the effect of uh, making the fear appear real, 
and that the real answer is is an exercise of will. I mean, it's one thing to call in the miracle to relieve fear, but that's not its its uh, full purpose, right? The the full purpose. <clears throat> And in that case, you know, consider that what the miracle is called upon is just the miracle of creation. And the the purpose of the miracle is is it's stated in or as it's you know, why there's a whole course here is about um uh, seeing through and uh, recreating the world in alignment with the will that actually created it and us. And, you know, that the, the Course says at some point everything is an I- first an idea and that this is, this is on the this is on the level, if you will, the level of thought. Um, the thoughts are um, let me say at best, thoughts are expressions of ideas in the mind of God. And as and if <laughs> beside the, the basic point that this is this is natural to us because that's what we are as beings. <clears throat> In the particular, though, the and uh, ninety-five, which is kind of why I reached further beyond the guide. Um, it says both miracles and fear come from thoughts, and if you were not free to choose one would also not be free to choose the other. And uh, I think this thing that, you know, like where we ended, the vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation and think think that uh, they are at effect when what we are is more closely related to cause. Now, I think it's also helpful to remember that we were also created and and our creators both. Uh, It's helpful to remember that we are created so that we don't have to create a world to live in. That the that creation already exists, and we're free to choose. Um, it's stated very clearly in terms of this thing of why why it would work to say, <clears throat> you know, I, I do not want this thought. I release this thought, right? To, in the course of love, it says. The purpose of free will is this. What you choose to join with 
and what you choose to leave outside yourself. You know, if the uh, if your thoughts are creations of ourselves uh, held where we hold ourselves in separation so that fear can enter that you know it's the way they what they do is they form a block and seem to and hide the real reality that we can actually we can actually join with fear only fear comes from <clears throat> the idea that we're separate and then reinforces it and so at some point you know basically you just have to change our mind and that this is this is you know inherent in free will we can change our mind about what we believe and even better go beyond belief to faith and trust in the wholly benign nature of creation itself of our creation and of our being and uh, step beyond that world of fear <clears throat> which wouldn't exist if we hadn't created it out of belief and separation and the utility of fear. So uh, it does take, I'm <laughs> seeing yesterday's lesson staring at me, it does take a little determination to see things differently. Um, but this is why the Course speaks of the alignment of the will as as essential. You know, we're already ready. We're obviously capable of creation and and so we're ready and able, but it's the willingness that's missing, and it's not—it's not an individual willingness. It's not an individual, separate will to impose upon, but more of a will to just join with what is. And I'll—I'll I'll stop there. I'm complete. Perfect. Good stuff, Lemoyne. Thank you so oh, much. Beautiful, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you so much That's for great. always bringing uh, things in the text. I mean, you always take us back and and refresh our memories about our readings, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Yes, me too. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. You hit the bullet points every time. Thank you. Well, I too have been afraid of God, of myself, of you, and everyone I know, and people I don't know at one time or another. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just need not be. Um, and, uh, huh. anyway, thank you, Lori. I could choose peace instead of this. Thank you, Lemoyne.
just want to check in. Should oh. I share now or wait till the after call? It doesn't make any difference to me. Um, well, go go ahead, Lana. My, I'm going to have to. Okay. Yeah, please go ahead, Lana. <laughs> Never mind my computer. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll try, I'll try not to be too long. Um, I just wanted to touch on the idea of remorse. And um, and I love what you we shared, Lemoyne. You know the idea of the willingness. You know, it's um when I think about vision as taught in the course, I've learned over the years that um, it's not so much what I see, but how I see it. And even Jesus, when he walked this the same earth that we all walk, you know, the world that he was in was a a frightening world. It was a world of judgment, of fear, of guilt. Yet Jesus had the vision to see it differently. He saw it through the eyes of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. In fact, it it points to me back to um, even the Buddhist teaching about ignorance when he was hanging on the cross after being nailed to it by the roman soldiers he said forgive them father for they know not what they do he saw that nothing was good or bad right or wrong but only ignorance of the truth and he saw the world through truth and he was teaching us to see the world through truth because when we give up the judgment of what we see and instead see it with the eyes of love through compassion and mercy what the gift in that is we not only see the innocence of our brothers but we recognize our own innocence and it's and the only thing lacking is uh, the knowledge of the truth of us that's what we're remembering so once that is recognized, and that can only be recognized between brothers, when I see the innocence in my brother, I recognize my own, that the whole idea of remorse disappears. Because once you find your innocence, there is nothing to be remorseful about. You had just forgotten. There was no sin. It was just a mistake. And then, you know, with vision restored, everything becomes an opportunity for forgiveness. And the more we forgive, the better we see. And the better we see, uh, the more at peace we are with the world. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive me, Father, for I know what I, not what I do. We're all children of God, and we're perfect creations. And, and though... Um, it, we appear to be humans. In truth, we're spirits having a human experience. But we're spirits first and foremost. And that spirit was created perfectly, innocently. And it, that fact, that truth can never change, regardless of what we do or don't do in this dream of humanity, <laughs> in this seeming reality, which is really unreality, but our truth remains solid and fixed in the mind of God. So there's no reason for judgment. There's no reason for guilt. There's no reason for remorse because we're all innocent. 
And the only thing lacking is our awareness of that. And that comes, and that does take a miracle. And it's our willingness, as as Lomoy was sharing, it was our our um, great willingness to see differently, to relate to what we see differently. That has always brought me back to the peace and the truth of who I am. And it did and does and will always take a miracle. And when I forget, I remember to forgive. That's it. I'm complete. Right on, Lana. Right on, Perfect. <laughs> Perfect you, expression Lana. of atomic. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, Lana. And uh, let me take this opportunity to thank everyone who's been here for reading, listening, sharing. And everyone who listens in the future, um, I will go ahead and end the call, a recording rather, but not the call. <laughs> I always say it that way. I will end the recording, but not the call. We will go on. And uh, thanks again. <laughs>